Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Hello and welcome to the Football Grad Podcast. I'm your host, Manu Weff. And as always, I'm joined by Tim. Tim, how are you doing? Good. I missed a couple of episodes, but I'm excited to, to be back. Miss you guys, and I'm excited to talk about all the weirdness of uh, Russian Football League. Yeah, we, we got a few. We got a few today. <laughs> um, glad to have you back, Tim. I, I, Thank I, you. I know you, you went out with a little bit of a, of a leg injury. Um, from what I hear, sustained at a punk rock, punk rock show. Yeah, you got you got to explain that, my friend. Yeah, well, I have I have like a had an ankle injury, but I hosted a big Rocket from Russia festival, and my band played. So uh, I used your advice. I did uh, like a proper footballing tape with like one of those blue tapes, which is you know like the footballers play when they use it and then uh took four advils and i was dancing almost like i didn't have an ankle injury so it was great thank you so much for your um doctor advice i I need to point out here i'm not a physician so if you go out there anyone listening to the show and you're taking that amount of advil um yeah i'm not a physician (laughs) (laughs) completely at your own risk um tim we're not alone we're also joined by andrew flint all the way over from siberia andrew how's it going I'm not too bad, boys. Not too bad, thanks. Um, I'm at home, which is a bit of a novelty in the last couple of weeks. So, um, yeah, it's good to be back. And, and Tim, yeah, really good to have you back too, buddy. Um, I was worried okay. that your legendary one-legged leaps into the air off stage would be in, in trouble with your injury, but I'm glad to know you soldiered on. Yeah, it's, it's actually funny. Like, I watched the video from from, uh, from our performance, and I didn't don't remember that because I was in the moment, but it's really funny to see me looking on just on one, uh, jumping all around the place on just one leg. It looks fairly strange. I usually, usually fairly, um, you know, animated and, uh, danceable on stage, but, uh, this was a kind of different approach to dancing just on one leg. And it was, looks, uh, interesting. If you look back at the video football grad special, um, <laughs> Tim Buckerdorf at the, <laughs> at the rocket from Russia festival of one neck. Um, one boys, performance. Yeah, boys, we have to, uh, um, you know, this, this segment is called short news, but I feel like we're going to spend a little bit more time on it today. Um, Andrew, let's start with a player who the last time he completed a transfer, 
um, was supposed to go from Girondo Bordeaux to Roma, and then at the last mm-hmm. moment decided to sign for Barcelona instead. Um, it's <laughs> fittingly enough, Markham in the middle, right? So, um, what's the latest on that? Well, I have to be honest, this has really, really taken me by surprise. This one, uh, Malcolm, the Brazilian winger, who's barely had a look in at Barcelona, to be fair. Um, Barcelona signed him for what, 40 million euros, I think it was. Um, and, uh, and Zanit are on the verge of signing him. Now, I'm really surprised by this for a number of reasons. Firstly, that Zanit, I mean, okay, yes, Malcolm is a, a top, top quality winger. Um, but in one sense, I don't think Zanit really need yet another attacking fielder winger forward. They have so many in their squad already. They just signed Alexei Suterman, for example. I know he's not Malcolm quality, perhaps, um, but he's, he's certainly RPL top quality. Uh, secondly, it's the amount of money that they're spending. Um, you know, he's spending, what, 12 million on Douglas Santos. Doesn't sound like a lot by Zanit standards, but we all know that Gazprom has been saying for the last 12, 18 months, the club have got to become self-sufficient. They've had three years of our Champions League football, so FFP-wise, it's going to be very, very difficult to mm. uh, to justify this, to be honest. Um, so, for about €40 million, Euros, we believe the fee is supposed to be. Um, uh, Javier Ribalta is in the Barcelona offices, apparently, as we speak, um, as we record to finalise the transfer. Uh, and it looks like he'll be arriving in St. Petersburg for a five-year five-year contract. Um, come out of the blue, that one, and it equals the record transfer in Russian football as well. So it's uh, it's quite a big move. Yeah, and that e- that record transfer was, of course, Hulk and Witzel, right? So um, a new era of Hulks and Witzels at Zenit. <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, it's um, it's not what we thought, Manu, from Zanit, is it? At this point, well, they're back in Champions League, I guess. You know, so you know the the money, the gas is flowing once again freely. Um, it it's an interesting move by the player as well, you know, because this was a player, of course, that was highly highly coveted uh, by many clubs um, about a year ago, right? Um, linked to Bayern, linked to, linked to Roma, and then finally signed by Barcelona. The fact that he did, um, almost complete that transfer to Roma, and I think he literally had this plane turned around in the air, um, with his agent then flying to, uh, to Barcelona instead. And then, um, remember that video that Roma put out by when they did the next signing and they, uh, <laughs> They basically suggested that they had to guard their signings all the way to the, to the signature table because, you know, other clubs were stealing their signings at the last moment. Um, that was because of Malcolm. And, um, it, it's interesting that they, this, that he's now completely fallen through at Barcelona and, um, making a move to Sinead, I guess, just for the Champions League, for Champions League football. This is a really good player. It's a player that we had a couple of articles on, on, uh, Fußballstadt and Football Sidage. Um, so really curious to see how he's going to do in Russia. Um, once the deal is done, of course, there will be a little bit of an article on him as well. Um, Tim, you know, speaking of transfer mayhem, um, let's sort through this long list of names that I have here in front of me. Uh-huh. Um, let's start with Fernando de China. That deal is done, right? 
Unfortunately, yes. Uh, yeah, that deal is done, and uh, also the Luis Adriano left the, the the club. In general, like yeah, if you just go through the list of the uh, players who won the league with Spartak just two years ago, uh, we only have GK, Yeshenko, Selikov, Ribrov, and Jano left. Uh, so pretty much the the, re- the remainder of the squad oh, and Melgarejo, sorry. The remainder of the champions team squad is gone, and Spartak is going through the massive rebuild. And uh, there's there's some rumors about the uh, the, the incoming transfers, but the, those two transfers, especially Luis Adriano and Fernando, Fernando is the brain of the team, the players who had the most of the balls, who really was orchestrating the game, and Luis Adriano, who is the very intelligent striker, who always was you know providing some kind of magic and he always was um, really holding up the ball up front and uh, earning very important free kicks which Fernanda sometimes was converting so it's really two big transfers I am very uh, uh, disappointed I'm really kind of losing the passion about the the whole what's everything what's happening with Spartak I, I will never lose the passion for the club but the current state of the team just doesn't really excite me there's nothing really you know, I, I'm not looking forward to watching games. I'm still watching every game, but like, there's no really passion about it because like, I don't really understand what's happening. The team is completely in shambles. Uh, there's no game plan. The, the coach doesn't know what he's doing. Uh, I'm not sure if the president has some kind of strategy and it really looks super shambolic and like, uh, I'm not excited about this. Yeah. I, I, I feel you because we, we're going to talk about the results, of course, in a moment. Um, Tim, though, there is some rumors about players coming in. Um, first and foremost, and Andrew is going to get a laugh out of it. Russia could, uh, well, soon welcome another 2014 FIFA World <laughs> Cup winner. Um, <laughs> he's better this one, though. He's much better than the previous one. <laughs> uh huh. Okay. You say that. Anyhow, uh, Tim, what's the latest with Andre Schöne? Well, uh, apparently then they surely might join Spartak on a one-year loan with an opportunity, uh, the opportunity to buy him for 8 million, uh, euros. It's not a must, uh, buy out, um, uh, offer. Uh, they can take him or not, but he will be making uh, roughly, according to the rumors, 3 million dollars in uh, Russia for one season. And, uh, like I said, it will be one-year loan. Apparently, uh, he is doing, he's completing his medical, uh, today. And he even picked a number 20 shirt and he, um, might be joining, like, might be officially announced, uh, tomorrow. But again, we'll never know. Like you said, the Malcolm transfer was a perfect example when the player was almost, uh, signed, sealed and delivered and then went to the, to the different club. So, like, I'm not, uh, you know, holding my breath over this transfer. Um, Andrea surely didn't really have a wonderful, past a few seasons, but again, at the same time, he is the top class player uh, for the Russian Premier League, and maybe he will, uh, you know, he will play. Also, there are a couple of rumors that also the Henrik Larsson's uh, son uh, from Sweden might join the club, and also Thiel uh, from uh, Azad Alkmar, who is uh, apparently a very, very, um, I've never seen him play, but apparently he's very, very um, interesting, very smart, and very um, attacking-minded uh, player. 
uh, who might join for Spartak for different rumors from 10 to 15 million euros. So there are some rumors about income and transfers, but uh, I'm not sure who the players will play with because the rest of the squad is fairly, fairly mediocre even by the Russian Premier League uh, standards. So I'm not sure like what, what's even happening. But yeah, once those players will be in in the team, we'll see. But so far, I'm not sure if they have even enough uh, professionals to play in next a derby game against Dynamo, which will take place uh, this weekend. You know, this would be a perfect transition to Dynamo, but uh, unfortunately, I have a little <laughs> bit to add to when it comes to Andre Schurle. Um, yeah, actually, I, I was curious what you will say because you know him better than we do. Well, I, I'm kind of cur- I'm kind of curious that he's gonna just make three million dollars a year because you know, there was there was a big report in in Sportbild on how Borussia Dortmund wants to. Um, save around 100 million euros and in by by cutting certain players from the squad and um among the many names was also Andre Schürrles um now they're not expecting of course to make a huge chunk of money from this transfer um i think actually the the loan to buy is is a likely scenario here but um he makes 7 million euros a year in Dortmund and so you know that's that's a big chunk of money now of course you have to keep in mind that in germany the tax man takes about half your salary right so um in russia that's that's a bit of a different scenario the tax man takes about last time i checked it was about 13 percent for footballers um which is a lot less so you you could get maybe away with, with juggling the numbers right um after tax and so on but uh yeah that that is that that number makes makes me think it's probably going to be a bit more um if he is decides to do this um i think his chance the chances of this happening are quite good because he has a kazakh supermodel girlfriend um who apparently has family in moscow so you know that that transition would be would be fairly easy it's it's a he's a curious player in in many ways because of course he we all remember him for the assist that he gave to mario Götze's world cup winning goal um and it seems almost that the the players involved in that goal all a little bit cursed ever since because uh-huh. of course Götze struggled for many years um at Bayern um and then of course got very sick in in his first year at Dortmund I had to sit out half a season and surely when he when he joined Dortmund he joined Dortmund because he was Thomas Tuchel's guy uh Tuchel of course the the coach that discovered him at Mainz um I always thought that Shirley had a lot of potential, but he's never really done anything with it. And, um, you know, when you, when you look at his stats, he scored six goals in uh, 24 Premier League games last year for Fulham. Uh, that's, that's not a lot. And at 28, he's now been on, let me just count this real quick. One, two, three, four, five, and this is going to be a sixth club since breaking on, uh, break, making it in Mainz. So, yeah, it's an odd one to me. Um, his goal scoring rate is there. He scored 22 goals in 57 games for Germany. And, you know, including giving, giving that assist, that assist at the World Cup final. But it's kind of odd that his career just kind of fell off after that. So, yeah, um, this could be another one for Andrew, you know. To cover when, when, whenever he's going to talk about World Cup winners in, in Russia. Uh, 
<laughs> his buddy Benedict Hovidas is is going to get a close friend. I'm oh, really... that name! It sends chills down my spine hearing that name Hovidas. Hovidas, <laughs> Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you know, you, you actually just one little thing, Manu, you mentioned about about Shula perhaps not quite fulfilling his potential that you saw early on his, in his career. What I would say is, as a mitigating circumstance in the last season at Fulham, Fulham were an absolute car crash of the club, rock bottom of the Premier League. Um, they brought in a lot of big-name players. Um, Jean-Michel Serri, who was at one point rumoured to be going to Barcelona a year or two ago, he ended up at Fulham. Um, they were they were terrible. So for, to score six goals in 24 games for Fulham is actually... Not a bad achievement. Um, and he, he looks, he looked committed and he looked fairly fit. He looked fairly in reasonably good shape. So I'm not saying it was a great season for him, but you know, it's, uh, it's done enough for, for Spartak to be interested. I, I think he could be reasonably successful here because he'll be the big fish in a, well, a medium sized pond, shall we say. So I'm, I'm reasonably positive about this movie. It will be definitely better than Patrick Ebert. <laughs> wow, that's probably a, just a bit better. Just a bit. <laughs> yeah, that's um, that's not a very high bar, but yeah. Okay, you know, I, I just I just want to spread a little bit of optimism here. Um, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, okay, so let's move on. Not to Dynamo. We're gonna go to Krasnodar first. Um, they signed. Actually, Andrew, I'm gonna go to you for this one. Remy Capella from Saint Etienne. Um, that's a good transfer. Hopefully, someone that can help them a little bit in the Champions League. What's your take on that? Yeah, it's an interesting one, really, because um, he, I mean, I, I first became aware of him in much detail when he came to Newcastle in England about four seasons ago, and he was, he was basically dreadful. But then again, Newcastle are another club who have been uh, not exactly up to mobile, shall we say. Uh, so I can't really hold that against him. Looks like he's played pretty consistently, scored fairly regularly in France for Saint-Étienne in the last couple of seasons. And for Krasnodar, it's um, it's not a bad signing, I think, because you've got to remember Victor Klaassen was their top goal scorer last season. Uh, he's going to be out till at least the new year, and they're going to need a very fully stocked squad for what we hope will be a, a long um, Champions League campaign. The, the doubleheader against Porto is going to be massive, and if they get through that, get through the group stage, they're going to need uh, experienced players. We know, we know and love Shapi Suleimana, for example, but he is only 19 still, and, and he still isn't a starter. Uh, and that's not a criticism of him, but he is only 19. He's being protected sensibly by the club. Um, so it, it, now they have a lot of attacking options. If you think of Yunus Namli, who's come in, he's looked fairly bright. Um, Wanderson is is just, I think he's a fabulous player, one of my favourite players in the in the RPL. Such a dangerous. Uh, Suleimanov off the bench. Um, got Ari, who's reasonably flexible. Marcus Berg up front. Uh, Andre Ivan, even, who's come back on loan. Uh, and now Remy Cabello as well. You've got a lot of attacking players there. Uh, my first reaction was it's a bit of overkill, but on second thoughts, I think it's actually very sensible when you think of what hopefully could be a Champions League campaign as well. So, um, yeah, it's, Krasnodar's recruitment is, is looking more and more impressive each year. Yeah. And- Eight goals, five assists, and th- thirty-four league all games. That's that's decent um, for a club like Saint Etienne. Uh, 
very flexible player, can play various attacking um, positions. I, I think this is the Victor Klaassen replacement. You know, when, when you look at the, the players that signed before that, this is the player that probably comes the closest, um, in terms of what he can do in, in that position. So really curious to see how he's going to get on. Of course, um, Krasnodar and we're getting to results in a moment. Um, next up against Zenit on Saturday. Big match for them. Um, will be interesting to see how he's going to do in that because that's probably going to be their big Champions League test boys now we get to the the best transfer <laughs> big strong roll I think so Clinton NJ to Dynamo Moscow uh, from Olympic Marseille bit of um, so boys and girls when you grow up be careful with social media right it's it's a tool that can send you message to millions and millions of people um, we're all on it. Facebook, Twitter, WhatsApp, Tinder. Oh, that's not the social media. Anyhow, that's the kind of social media he should have probably been on, but he wasn't. Um, yeah. Who wants to take that one? Who's going to be the lucky volunteer? I'm going to give that one to Tim. Tim, um, Clinton and Jay's social media habits, thoughts. <laughs> Well, it looks pretty hot. I don't know, uh, but at least like, he has that going, and I'm happy for a young man for you know living the best his best life. Um, most of footballers do that. I just recently uh, watched a absolutely phenomenal um, video blog about Artem Milevsky. If you remember this player who pretty much uh, parted his life away, and it's absolutely fantastic uh, hour and a half episode of a show called Krasau where he shows. Um, he told Cray absolutely insanely story how he parted. And, uh, footballers do that. So Clinton and G, uh, released a, a fairly hot and erotic video of, no, for his, uh, 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 Twitter account. And how, could you please c- c- help me how he worded it? He didn't know how to, he wanted to live a live stream. What, 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 what did he want to do? How he? I think Andrew found a perfect wording for this. <laughs> I, oh dear me. It's, it's so it's so hard to believe that you you got to you got to think that there was some level of intent in this. And what I've what I've understood is his statement read that um, I apologise for what uh, people have seen. I was trying now this is brilliant. I was trying to read the news on my phone and I pressed <laughs> the wrong button. Now just bearing in mind the type of content that Tim has just described that came. So we know what he was literally about to do. And he's trying to tell us the moment before he enjoyed himself with very few clothes on, he wanted to read the news first. I mean, at least if you're going to lie, Clinton, come up with something vaguely believable, like I was looking, I mean, quick look at some hot girls on Twitter or something. Oh, dear me. So, um, yeah, apparently on Clinton and G's phone, the, the icons next to each other are... <laughs> sex streaming and uh, news really interesting <laughs> um, but you know like you say Tim look, it's not content we want broadcast to the kids and everything but you know what he's really happy to be in Moscow and I, I'm pleased for the guy so I just be a bit more careful this was his uh, of course this was his, this all of this went down down oh, in his transfer what was it transfer signing party incredible um Someone should tell Clinton what club he's actually going to. 
you know, I, I would, I would have, I would have muted the party a little bit. I, th I think a funeral procession would have been more fitting, but, uh, <laughs> oh dear. At least he's not going to Himki. Um, then, you know, that is true. That is very true. Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, um, well, let's, let's stay with Dinamo. We're going to have a lot more Dinamo Moscow content today. Uh, but this one is about Dinamo against Spartak. Andrew, um, that game could be postponed. Um, explain to me why. Well, yeah, it's, um, it's, it's quite an interesting one, this actually. Dinamo against Spartak, we know is a historic derby, mm -hmm. uh, arguably the most historic derby. And it certainly will be a very high attendance and, Football matches need policing, and you you would argue for a game of this stature, it could be could be up to a thousand even more police officers over the whole area because it's a massive area, isn't it, man? Yeah. Um, you know, we both visited the VTB Park, and it's it's a huge area. It needs a lot of security. On Saturday, there are protests planned. Um, a lot of people probably would be in international news, I'd imagine. Um, of the protests over the Moscow mayor and other politicians. And the Interior Ministry are saying they want all available police officers in the capital to to keep the security at these rallies planned on Saturday. Spartak against Dinamo is, um, is on Saturday. So uh, they're asking them to postpone the match so that they can use the police officers that would have been policing the football game. Um, but then, of course, there are other issues. Spartak have Europa League commitments next week, and they obviously don't want to uh, infringe upon the time, preparation time uh, they would have for that. Uh, at, but if they postpone it beyond this weekend, it then becomes a nightmare to find a free weekend or a convenient weekend for both clubs. Um, so, yeah, and uh, this is this is another classic only in Russia story. Um this is three days away. This is one of the biggest games that will happen in Moscow football this season. And okay, admittedly, these protests were not necessarily planned weeks ago, but they still haven't confirmed exactly what is happening with this match. So, um, what can I say? Uh, until the day before the game, we might still be in doubt as to what exactly is happening, when it's happening. But, uh, the game is. It's, the game will happen. It's just when it will happen, and we're still not sure. Yeah, can you imagine you? Because you know, ground thats a thing. It's in the new stadium, right? And um, there's people from all over the world coming for a game like that. Um, we've been at a, we have been at that game, um, obviously in a much better facility. Yeah, no, no, never mind. Um, but yeah, the people from all over the world will come to this game and. They, they will, they will want to see it. So, yeah, uh, it'd be nice to find out when this game is actually taking place. It's scheduled for Saturday. Um, obviously, like the prime, the prime spot on Saturday. Um, it's one of two big games. The way it's actually scheduled, you could catch both Spartak Moscow against Dynamo Moscow and Sinit against Krasnodar. But, um, it, I guess it all will depend on what's, what the authorities in Moscow will decide. And uh, from my experience, whatever the, the authorities in Moscow will decide is what's going to happen. So um, if you are planning to go to this game and you're from abroad, um, yeah, keep keep yourself updated because this could very well change on a very last moment's notice. Um, it's just how it is. Just how it is in Russia. Um, boys, let's go through some of these results. Um, there were a few surprises. A few results that some of us will not find as exciting as others. 
um, thinking about you uh-huh. here, Tim. So let's start. Dinamo Moscow, um, staying right on topic. 2-0 against Urav. Ufa 2-1 against Krilya Sovetov. Tampov beating Spartak Moscow 2-0. Krasnodar 3-0 against Sochi. Orenburg 0, Zenit 2. Arsenal 2-3 against Rostov. CSKA beating Lokomotiv 1-0. And Ruben Kazan, Ahmad Krosny 1-0. We're going to speak about Namo in a moment here. So I want to start with uh, Tampov against Spartak Moscow, Tim. Um, that's probably the biggest shock of the match day. What happened? Like, how, oh. We didn't expect Tampov to get any points this year, realistically. Yeah, and they were playing again away. They were playing in Saransk, so the game took place like like we discussed in previous episodes that they cannot uh, hold games at their own little stadium. So they play at one of the World Cup stadiums in Saransk, which is 400 kilometers away. So it wasn't really truly a home game for uh, the poor little Tambov. Uh, but they just really they defended very organizedly. Uh, they uh, scored two goals from set pieces, like small clubs do, and they really didn't really allow. To Spartak to do much. There were a couple of chances. Uh, there was a potential um, penalty kick, uh, which uh, Fernando, when he did his one of his last free kicks for the team, he hit the ar- arms of the player who was in in the wall, and this player was in the box. But uh, unfortunately, they didn't have uh, the war system at that game specifically. So, but. Uh, for, for Spartak really didn't show anything. Uh, they hit the post four times. But, you know, four out of those four times, three, three times was like kind of outside of the post. So it wasn't really a dangerous kick. So yeah, I cannot really explain what uh, the, the coach, Alec Konunov, what kind of like, you know, system he's playing, what Spartak is trying to do, because there's really no concept of the, of the football game. It's really painful to watch because really nothing really is happening. And, Fernando was orchestrating all the game uh, and had the ball and tried to uh, deliver the balls in the different areas of the pitch. Now he's gone and I, I have no idea how the team will play because really there's no brain in the team and the, the um, it, it's it's not enjoyable. I, yeah, it looks like Tabof absolutely fairly uh, won 2-0 and uh, congratulations uh, for their first win in the Russian Premier League. Tim, when I, when I look at these stats, um, it almost looks like I'm looking at a team, um, like the old Krasnodar when Kononov was there. You know, you had 66% possession. You strung together. You completed 86% out of 544 passes. Um, compare that to the just 290 passes that Tambov played and <laughs> they only completed 72%. The, the game plan to me seems like possession, possession, just for the sake of possession. Exactly. So when you, when you look at, when you look at what's lacking, because like overall shots, you had 23 to nine for Spartak, but on actual shots on target, it's actually five to four for Tampov. Uh-huh. Is that just, is it just that when Kononov's system, and this is why they're doing this major overhaul in players at the moment, does it maybe just not fit the players that he has at his disposal? I think you're right because 
yeah, you need a specific type of players to play that game. You absolutely right. He plays this game, which is uh, possession, pretty much for the sake of possession. But uh, to me, it looks like the central defenders were passing to central midfielders, and then it was going back, and then it was going on the flanks, and then it was going back. So there was really possession without really very without any progress. So there was nothing really exciting about this position and the past completions which were done somewhere around the middle of the field and uh, you're absolutely right there the quality of players is not there like um, the players which we have right now at our disposal like uh, one of the biggest transfer which got completed uh, he brought his former man from Arsenal Tula Rizwan Mirzov who uh, is well he had a good season last year in Tula but he's really his resume includes clubs like Tosno Arsenal, Tula, and few uh, even lower league uh, clubs, and he really didn't do anything much. So this is kind of the caliber of players which he and he really insisted on bringing this player. I don't really understand why, because because like I don't know, it's not the player for who has like lots of European experience or like played in top clubs in Russia. He bought he buys the player from the middle of the table and he expects him to play the the super creative possession game. I don't really understand this whole, but uh, you actually summarize it very, very well. It's possession for the sake of possession without any uh, plans. Uh, and then once we lose the ball, we, we, we're facing a very uh, dangerous counterattack. And uh, that's how the set pieces uh, for, for Tabov's goal came into play. So the quality of players is not there, especially with now when Fernando is gone. I'm not sure who will be doing all the, all the work. Roman Zobnin, who is... Um, one of our best players and Russian national team player. He's not having the best time, and I don't think it's because of him. I don't think he really understands his role in the team. And the rest of the squad, I don't really see a particular leader right now who can change the game. So it's pretty depressing. Yeah, I've seen a few Massimo Carrera tweets in my timeline. Um, I, I get a very good sense of how Spartak fans feel at the moment. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All right. With that sigh, we're <laughs> going to go to the Moscow Derby and bring Andrew back in here. Um, Andrew, you're doing the preview for all the games every week on footballgrad.com. And of course, the, the Moscow Derby, any Moscow Derby is always, you know, a main event. Um, the CSKA beating Locomotive 1-0 here. That's, at a first glance, a little bit surprising when you look at the final standings of last year, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, last year, Lokomotiv did what Lokomotiv do. They closed out results and they scored, I, I believe, in the top five, they scored more second-half goals as a proportion of their total goals scored than anybody else. Uh, that's what they do. They um, they waited out, basically. And it wasn't the best game, if we're being brutally honest. Mm. Um, it was interesting, I suppose, most of all, for the first penalty awarded by VAR in Russia. And it was it was the right decision in the end. Chalov was uh, tripped by Murillo Sequeira, New Brazilian centre-back. Um, but in classic Russian fashion, it took about a minute between contact being made in the box and the referee actually being told, by the way, you need to look at this. Um, and it, it's just, it brought up a whole load of confusion. Play continued up the other end. Horda Magnussen was booked for a foul, uh, and then the referee went to look at the monitor by the side of the pitch and eventually awarded the penalty which Fyodor Chalas scored. Um, now, under the new IFAB rules, if a booking happens after the incident 
for which VAR then awards a penalty and the booking was for a, a dangerous opportunity, the booking should be rescinded. Um, nobody has confirmed what's happened with that yet. So there's still confusion over it. Um, that was quite interesting, actually, to see Dmitry Baranov. He was um, he was sledging, talking in Chalov's ear the whole way to the penalty spot while he was carrying the ball, uh, but he didn't manage to put him off. But the game itself was very even. Uh, possession was almost exactly 50% each. Both had similar pass success percentage. Uh, aerial draws one. Tackles were relatively similar. Locomotive made a few more tackles, but it was it was a relatively uninspiring game. Um, but Cisca were were the more organised of the two, and they they managed to close out the game. So it's a big big win for Cisca that because they I felt they performed extremely well considering how much their squad was overhauled last summer. But they they always fell slightly short in the big games, whereas now that's the first um, well the first win they've got for a big game this season, and it's a good start for them. So um, we'll see how Loco respond. Yeah, it's I mean. It's- these games are always interesting. When I look at the stats, Andrew, the one thing that stands out, you know, you mentioned the passes uh, being very similar. The pass accuracy on both sides very low in this game. Um, does yeah. that somewhat reflect that the maybe somewhat lower lower quality of what is usually a high quality game? Well, I think it reflects more just the importance of the game. Mm. Um, and I know it sounds odd given that we're talking only three games into the season, but yeah. that's 10% of the season gone already. Um, it, already these games, they are important. Um, if you look at the, you look at the teams, there are a lot of very good passes on the pitch there. Um, you've got, uh, Christian Bustovic and Akwatov in the center for Tesca, and they've got some quick runners ahead of them in Vlasic and Sigurdsson. Um, uh, Mario Fernandez, you'd even included that he gets so far forward. So there, there's always plenty of options for them to pass to. Um, and Kutroviak was very deep in this game. So his pass percentage should have been very high. So it's a little bit surprising, I guess, uh, given the quality of player, but I think it spoke more to the occasion than the, the quality, uh, and perhaps the ability of both sides to control their nerves. But, um, yeah, in the end, this guy just about did enough. Yeah, absolutely. And as you said, um, the beauty of the Russian Premier League is that these games do matter because as there's only 16 clubs. So, you know, results have a much bigger impact than they have in most other leagues in Europe. Now, um, I want to go to your, your club, Andrew, um, losing 2-0 to Ural, uh, to Dinamo Moscow. Um, yeah, not a great result. But we're going to mostly talk about this because of Dynamo. Um, because other than signing erotic uh, strikers from Olympic Marseille, there's a lot going on there. First of all, the result. Uh, that's their, that was Dynamo's first win of the season. Um, they previously drew one and lost one. But there is so much going on. Let's talk about this match first. You know, did they home win against Ural? Um, and then we'll talk about a lot of the things that are going on behind the scenes because this is a club that's once again in turmoil, but probably in positive turmoil, at least for now. But this result, um, three massive points for them, right? Yeah, absolutely. And they, I have to be honest, they were extremely impressive in the first half. They could have scored three or four. And their counter-attacking was just so, so quick. 
Jauzinho was just was fantastic. And he, I can't remember exactly, I think he got about nine or ten assists last season. He may have even got most in the, in the Premier League. He got another, um, uh, another uh, last weekend. They, they just looked, um, they looked more confident because they were at home, perhaps, but they were just quicker. Um, I were very, fairly nervous and made quite a lot of mistakes. Um, and, you know, they, okay, I'm, I don't want to make too many excuses. Orao's defence is a little uncertain still. Uh, they're playing uh, a centre midfielder, Roman Yemelyanov, as a centre-back this season so far, alongside um, Razradat Haroyan, who is who was fourth-choice centre-back last season. Um, and it's, it's not a very reliable centre-back partnership. But, you know, nevertheless, Dynamo looked very fluid. Um, Constantine Rausch got forward very well. He was he was a good option down the left. Um, so I think as well, Kirill Panchenko playing, I've always rated him very highly. His movement's very intelligent, and he controlled a lot of the play getting forward. So it was very it was very positive first half. Certainly, um, second half Ordal was much much better, much more effective. Uh, Nikolai Dimitrov came on wide. He was he's arguably one of Ordal's most dangerous players. But Dynamo had done done what they needed to do first half so um, turmoil off the pitch yes but on the pitch if they're going to add um, Mr NG um, I think he'll be a far better player than Ramos Shehdaev um, it, it could be could be a positive season for them yeah it, it really does look like a positive season for Dinamo Moscow because as you mentioned one of the beauties of the short Russian of the shorter season also means that a lot of the games are played while these clubs are basically still retooling um, yeah. signing players, etc., which is always such an oddity in, in Russian football, right? Because it's, it's July 31st. We already have 10% of the season played, as, as Andrew pointed out. Clubs are making most of their transfers now and then will actually do another chunk of transfers in the winter because of the traditional longer winter break there. So it's, it's really such an oddity that clubs have really don't have the face of what they're going to look like figured out until about January, when two-thirds of the season are played, which it always makes the, the Russian League such an interesting proposition. Now, at Dynamo, Tim, uh, there is all these rumors going on in, in Germany right now, and they're very, very substantial, that they are going to sign Maximilian Philipp for a transfer fee in the region of 18 to 20 million euros. The... Dortmund have been trying to unload Philip to all sorts of clubs um, within the Bundesliga, but because of the high transfer fee that they're demanding, no one really has gone for it. But Dynamo, and this is this has gone beyond the rumor stage, this has gone to the this could actually happening stage, seem to be willing to put that money in. Um, I personally think if they can sign someone like Maximilian Philip, it would be a massive transfer for the Russian Russian Premier League in general, because this is this is a player who's still young. Develop who can be developed, would it maybe if he does well could actually see um, make money on down the road, but and this begs the question: Where's the money coming from? I mean, this is a club that three years ago was on the brink of bankruptcy, was playing in the second division. VTP had pulled out of their sponsorship. The stadium wasn't getting finished, and all of a sudden the stadium is done. VTP is the owner once again. What? 
Well, uh, what happened is that with the BAD, they bought the shares of Dynamo Moscow for one ruble for a nominal price, and they get access to this, uh, to the brand, brand new stadium and to the area surrounding them. They're trying to develop this area and make, uh, they're trying, what they're trying to do is to make, um, hip and ma- to make cool to go see Dynamo because the stadium is, is uh, great, uh, far better than Himki and you don't have to travel to the end of geography to watch a football game. It's very conveniently located in, uh, in the fairly central area of Moscow and very, very close to, uh, to the metro. So, um, it is, um, you know, this is where the money is coming from, from what I understand. Uh, they, they were promised about 45 million dollars, um, on the incoming transfers uh, from Vitebe to spend uh, this upcoming uh, transfer window. So this is where I think the money is going. I'm really curious that uh, Maximilian Philip is uh, making this decision uh, because I'm, like you said, maybe Dortmund had troubles of un- unloading him, but a um, uh, player of his talent maybe can get, um, you know, a little bit more. A better deal in terms of playing somewhere um, in Europe or playing in Europa League or um, Champions League, but maybe he got offered uh, good money, and um, yeah, that that will be an interesting transfer. Obviously, he will be, like you said, the player who will improve the Russian Premier League and will improve the quality of the league and Dynamo Moscow because. <laughs> like Andrew said, it's a little bit above the level of Shaydaev, plus they have now the uh, super great lover um, NG uh, in, in this squad again. So it is interesting, but there's some other rumors uh, circling around Dynamo, and um, there's a um, shade of Kurban Birudiev again appeared um, uh, around two clubs. Uh, w- uh, one club is Dynamo Moscow, and the other club is Sochi. If we take a look... Um, just at, at the Sochi, and if I'll just tell you the list of players who came to play for Sochi, it's Saslan Janaev, Fyodor Kudryshov, Alexander Bukharov, Elmir Nebiulin, Dmitry Polos, uh, Ibrahim Salamov, Ivan Novoselsev. So all those players were at some point uh, played in uh, Kurban Berdeev, Rubin or Rostov. So that's the first sign. And um, and so that's one rumor that... Uh, Kurban Berdyev eventually might be taking over the uh, Sochi team because all his former players are going there. Another rumor is about Dynamo Moscow that he is also has some you know interest in working there. And uh, apparently Dmitry Hachlov, the coach of Dynamo Moscow team, uh, was given a five uh, match ultimatum on fixing the situation because this year with all the investments, Dynamo Moscow they really want to try to get uh, to try that their actual uh, goal for the season to get into the Europe and with potential transfer of Maximilian Philip and completed uh, transfer of Clinton G of course they 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 will they will really be disappointed if they miss out uh, after spending so much money and having that um you know like i said the general VTB plan is to make this area to develop this area and to you know build uh, infrastructure about the stadium obviously to fill in the stadium you need um uh, good players, you need good results, and you need European football. So it it is it is not only a sporting plan, it is also a business plan. And apparently, they're not sure that Dmitry Hachlov, who is apparently still young coach, is the right uh, man for the job. So with all those transfers, um, there there is you know I think they will be asking very very hard. Uh, from Dmitry Hachlov in terms of his um, results, and I think they would like to see, VTB would like to see results sooner than later. This this entire thing baffles me, boys, because this stadium has been under construction as long as I've been traveling to Russia. 
At least that's <laughs> that's how it feels like, right? Um, I remember going to this, the the construction site for the first time in 2015 with Andrew actually, and there wasn't much done. Um, we went back in 2017 around the time of the Confederations Cup, Andrew, and there wasn't much done. There was a lot of work being done, but it didn't seem like a lot of progress. Um, same again in 2018. Now this thing is done. Why did it take five years for VTB to figure out what they actually wanted to do with this club? Now, why, 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 why is it that all of a sudden in 2019, when the stadium project was taken away from them actually at one point, um, Dynamo Moscow was banned for financial fair play, um, violations. They had, had all these superstars. Remember Valbuena, Kevin Kurani, all these players at Dynamo Moscow. Um, that business model seemed to have completely failed. Why is it now, Andrew, that now all of a sudden they decided they want to become the hip club of Moscow? That's a very good question, to be honest with you. I think it's, I, I share your skepticism a little bit, uh, about, I mean, we know, I mean, when we say where's the money come from, we know where it's coming from, obviously, but, why so much? I mean, I think just simply, I, I get a feeling that there was a frustration at missing out on the VTB being a World Cup stadium um, and the the level of professionalism and interest in completing the project fell right away after that, um, after it became clear that, um, pardon me, Spartak Moscow Stadium and the Ruzhniki uh, would be used. And now that the project has finally been finished because once you've started a project and you're at least halfway down the line you just simply something's got to be done um and it is a, a bit of prime real estate there um they do have potential to actually you know actually do something with what they've got um it you know uh, nowadays when you see new football stadiums being built you you can't just build them just as football stadiums they won't be sustained just for football alone you have to make it more than just a football stadium, uh, whether it's hosting, you know, music events or other sporting events or the whole business park concepts, which is effectively an entire district in Moscow, almost, anyway. Um, now that that's finally over the line, I think they're thinking, right, let's, let's hit the nail on the head now. Um, and there's an opportunity to attract players because you can show them the brand new VTB arena. You showed them Kimke, they'll run a mile. Um, uh, for obvious reasons, and why they why they took so long to get to this stage? Why didn't just think, look, okay, we missed out on the World Cup stage, but we'll get ours over the line. We'll get we'll get back online after the uh, FFB, you know, relegation and the fire cell that followed. Uh, it's taken them a year or two longer than I thought it would do, um, but I think they just finally just realised, well, you know what? Why are we hanging around? We've got money to spend. Let's spend it wisely, and we've now got the facilities to spend. We can get players in. And that's the thing about mid-table in the Russian Premier League. It doesn't take a lot to make that leap from mid-table to challenging for European places. Um, the biggest jump will be from 6th, 7th, 8th into 5th place. So I, I personally don't think they will have enough, even if they do bring in um, Philip and uh, Mr. G. But it's it's interesting to see them try. Yeah, I I. I still don't get the concept uh, of what's happening here. Um, I think 
when you look at stadium construction, the longer you delay them, the most, the more expensive they become because you have to pay labor throughout this entire time. So they basically paid labor to all these construction workers for the last half decade, um, building the stadium. And it, it is a beautiful facility, as you pointed out. It's more than just a, a soccer stadium. And it also has a hockey arena attached, right? And a hockey basketball arena attached, actually. So. I just think it's one of those mysterious things in Russia. Um, the ownership basically weren't interested in their plaything anymore. They dropped it. And now all of a sudden, they, they, this plaything has become this new shiny thing because of the new stadium. So they might as well put some money into it. But it's just like, it, it's just such an interesting story in that, that it really shows how capital investment can go from very hot to very cold to very hot again in Russia because of simply of decisions made at the very top, um, very quickly. So it's, yeah, it's such an oddity. And I'm really curious to see how long this time Dinamo Moscow, if this is a more sustainable project. Um, I thought the whole idea of Koklov, the head coach is that he was young and that he's going to build this young team. But uh, as Tim pointed out, there's Bedeev already waiting in the wings. We all know he wants a job in Moscow really badly. Although I think the sun in Sochi is probably going to be very enticing for him as well. So I, I'm really curious to see how this is this time it's going to work out because, you know, it's always, it's, it always seems like that with Dinamo, you never know what you're going to quite get. So um, we're going to stay tuned on that one. Um, I want to finish this program, boys, with Andrew's travels. Andrew, you are the official foreign correspondent of FC2 Man this season. You got to explain that well, a little to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is going to be the best uh, part yes, of the podcast. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's the most prestigious part by a long way, of course. Um, you know, who cares about multi-million pounds? player deals and contracts. It's all about uh, being the special correspondent for FC Chiman in the PFL division, which is where it's all happening. You know, I mean, yeah. you know, we, we drudged through the dreary Premier League stuff and everything, and I sort of put up with it because I know some people, for some strange reason, like, you know, famous footballers and everything. Um, but yeah, so um, it, we're three games into the season. Um, I've been to Ulyanovsk, I've been to Chelyabinsk, um, and uh, let me tell you, when you've been 3,000 kilometres to see a team lose, uh, it's, it's not the most um, it's not the most satisfying experience. But I am getting to spend time with the team, um, spend time with the the coaching staff, and uh, a lot of surprising things. To be honest, uh, you know, contacts that the manager, the, the training staff have with the fans. They they know a lot of the fans personally, um, and it's been it's been eye opening. Uh, because, as we know, lower league Russian football is is a mystery even to people involved in it. Uh, you know, the, you talk about the the massive transfers, Manu, over summer. A lot of clubs still doing transfer business in the top flight. Well, in the lower leagues, it, it's almost an entire squad. I mean, it, literally, Tumen sold 15 players in the summer, brought in 12. Um, they've promoted four players from the youth team. So it is effectively an entirely new squad. You've got to learn that. I, you know, I, you haven't even seen them play before. So, um, yeah, so far, so far, so good. We had a last minute extra time winner overhead kick in the, in the Russian Cup. Um, one, one lost one in the league and, uh, Zenit Zhevsk, who are top of the table after two games, are coming to Chuban. 
on Thursday tomorrow night. So it's it's all go. Yeah. So um, the Ural Privolge is basically the Champions League of Siberia, right? That's what you're saying. Absolutely, hundred percent. Absolutely. Okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's. Um, I just, uh, guys, look. I'll. I. I. I will be writing. Um, I will be writing some updates uh, to give you guys a taste of what it's like at this level. You can find that on footballgrad.com over the season. But just to give you one example of the madness, um, there are 12 teams in the division, mm-hmm. uh, and it covers a quite a large area. Uh, the longest away trip is one and a half thousand kilometers. Uh, so originally, before the first game of the season, um, it was a very simple league format. 11 games home, 11 games away, top of the table gets promoted. But after after the first game of the season, they changed their minds and thought, you know what, more league games. So we're going to add a championship round and a relegation round, another five fixtures, and all the fixtures were suddenly changed at the last minute. Um, and this is after the season has started. But you've got to remember how much of an impact that has on a budget of a club. We're talking, you know, three three million dollars is probably more than most clubs have for their entire season budget for salaries of the training staff, playing staff, for the rent of the stadium, which always none of them own themselves, for travel, for accommodation, and they suddenly add another five fixtures. So, um, how this league will end up, I don't think even they know, yet alone us. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Um, absolutely love it. I love the fact that there's. Um some really big names in this league, like Kamas, Andrew. This is, this is yeah. a club, this is a club that played against the mighty 1860 at one point, um, in the UEFA Intertoto Cup. You remember that competition? Brilliant competition. Oh, brilliant. Brilliant competition. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I remember how Kamas came, came to town. This, this was, of course, um, at a very different time. I, I, looking at it geographically, I mean, <laughs> This is like right smack. Some of those teams, there's a lot of travel involved. So, yeah, I, I can't wait to hear all about your travels to uh, see teams like Zenit Ishivsk, uh, Akron, Chelya Bings, uh, Lada Togliati. Ah, I love that name, Lada Togliati. You know, of course, um, yeah. named after the Italian communist Togliati, who um, I think he stole the Fiat plants and brought them to Russia so, you know, they could build ladders. Um, <laughs> yeah, just amazing. So yeah, we're really looking for, forward to hearing your updates on, on the season. It's, it's going to be, um, a long season for you, I think. And actually, guys, live on this podcast, Tim, are you, are you sitting? Are you sitting? Uh, I'm actually laying. <laughs> okay, cool. <Better. laughs> Uh, Andre Schurle to Spartak Moscow is done. Nice. There we go. Yeah. At this very moment, my phone just did the oh, yeah. thingy. So, yeah. That transfer is done. Um, I think that's a good point to, to end the podcast. So, first time ever, live breaking news on the Football Grad podcast. Andre Schurle is going to join Spartak Moscow. Um, Tim, other than watching Andre Schuller at Spartak Moscow, <laughs> what are you up to the next few days? 
Oh, you know what? It's actually been a very, very crazy summer for me. I've been absolutely bombarded with work with organizing uh, Rocket from Russia Fest, which is like an annual music festival, which I host. This year, it was an insane amount of work. And I decided that for the rest of the summer, I'm not going to do anything. I'll just enjoy my summer and try to recover because it was an insane amount of work. I'm still um, arguing and like fighting against the Spartak Moscow Club on Twitter. So if anyone wants to read all my retweets and all my things, you can do that on Russian Team 61 and on Instagram, Rocket from Russia. Brilliant stuff. And Andrew, other than traveling around um, the Siberian Champions League, What's going on in your life? <laughs> to be honest, I don't have much time or space for anything else at this rate. But uh, no, I mean, uh, that, that's my main focus over the next few months. Uh, and uh, yeah, like I say, footballground.com will have some previews and looking forward to European previews for the for the big clubs or, well, the, the insignificant clubs I call them, but other people from heaven. And uh, yeah, on, on, on Twitter, I'll be doing a... a 24-hour podcast I'm going to plan. Um, it's going to be a lot of preparation, but that will be taking place sometime in September. Um, so you guys will get an invite to join in at some point, but I'll explain more details when it comes to it. Fantastic stuff. And you will, of course, um, Nick, keep us updated on that as well on the Football Grad podcast. Well, guys, you can find me and all everything I do um, at Football Grad Live but also on my Twitter handle at ManuelVef. Um, this podcast, of course, the Gegenpressing podcast was going to come back very soon. Then, of course, I am going to be in Germany for two days. Uh, you heard that right. I'm flying to Germany for just two days to, to cover the DFL Super Cup. So there will be lots of content coming your way from that. Yeah. And that's it. We'll be back next week. Until then, dos vidanje. <laughs>